0: So nudge a dad near you, happy Father's Day to us dads. I gotta tell you, in asking God what to share on Father's Day, I felt like he led me to something the Apostle Paul wrote to fathers in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5. So if you've got a Bible, or if you've got a mobile device with a Bible app, you can use that. You can use the outline that you were given as you came in or up on the screens, either way, just to kind of follow along. I'd love for you to follow along on the outline because there's some fill-in-the-blanks. I think that'll help you learn today. Today's passages are specifically addressed to dads, to fathers. But whether you are a father or not, this applies to all of us. Turn to a neighbor and just tell him, hey, this applies to you, all right? Would you tell him that? And what I mean by that is, is because what the Apostle Paul is giving us is he's giving us some relationship pointers. And all of us are in relationships of one kind or another. We're in relationships at home, at work, at school. All of us are in relationships So we can learn today some pointers to help us in those relationships. And the reason that I was drawn to these couple of passages is because they repeat each other. And something that I have learned is basically, you know, when Paul says the same thing, he's getting my attention. And that's really because when anytime God says something twice, it's important and he wants us to get it. And in most of what Paul writes Uh, He writes to groups of Jesus followers. He writes to people who are already Christians, and he's, he's addressing them. In our two passages, we see that Paul is writing two letters to two different groups of Jesus followers in two different areas around the Mediterranean. And so Paul talks about families in these passages, and then he talks about wives and husbands, and then in both passages, Paul includes some real interesting things. First off, he includes a talk about kids obeying parents. Take a look at this. In Colossians 3, Paul says, come on, read it with me. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. That's interesting. I I heard a dad in the back say always there. That was interesting, huh? Okay, in Ephesians 6, now Paul expands this a little, but it's very similar what he writes. Look what he says. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. And then Paul says, if you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on earth. Now, when I read that passage, I got to tell you right away, my memory went to my dad. My dad always used to quote that second part to me. And this is the way he would say it. Obey your parents and you will have a long life on earth. Everybody get what he's implying there? Because if you don't obey us, Bart, you will have a short life on earth, right? So he's, he's emphasizing the obedience part. And maybe you had a, a dad like that. This isn't a study on kids obeying. You know, we're, we're not doing a parenting seminar here. Um, but there's a couple of things that I do want you to understand, I want you to realize. First off, delayed obedience is disobedience. You need to get that down in your outline somewhere. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Now, I know that we're talking about kids, and that's true about family structures and, and family dynamics, but it's also true for us if we're following God. The delayed obedience is disobedience. This is something that's overlooked so often. Failure to obey the first time is delayed obedience and by the way delayed obedience is what disobedience Um, maybe this scenario sounds familiar maybe you've been around parents like this or maybe this is you Um, you know you tell your child please put your toys away and get ready for bed five minutes later you say to him I thought I told you to put your toys away and get ready for bed Five more minutes go by and you say, I know I told you to put your toys away and get ready for bed. Another five minutes passes and you say, okay, I'm not telling you again, put your toys away and get ready for bed. More time passes and now with your face red and your, uh, your volume getting louder, you say, this is the last time, do what I said or else. A few more minutes pass by. Then you get up from the couch and you go toward your child and she finally obeys because, guess what, she knows that you're serious now because you actually got up. Hmm. See, something that we need to realize is that a child's obedience is controlled by the parent. In our culture, we have lost this truth. A child's obedience is controlled by the parent. Because a child will obey you when they know you are serious. Hmm. And that can be either be the first time or that can be after the 15th time of telling them. It may be when your voice reaches a certain decibel <laughs> or it may be when you finally move toward them. Your child will obey when they actually think that, you, that they will face consequences. Listen, you, you. Turn the person next to you and tell them, you, you, if you're ever going to be a parent, if you are a parent, if you know some parents, you, not your child, determine the point of your child's obedience. It's real important for us to catch that. Parents, when you do not require your child to obey the first time, guess what? You make them the judge of what is or is not important. And we know that that right does not belong to them. That belongs to you as a parent. It's important to realize that um, obedience is so important. Delayed obedience, when you are allowing delayed obedience, you are actually training them to disobey. And I'll, I'll tell you this: stretching it out into adult years, that will play out in their work life, in their relationships, all the way through. It'll play out. So, continuing in Colossians three, Paul says this: "Fathers, not just after you know, children obey." He says, "Fathers." Do not, come on, read this with me, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Paul says fathers, dads. It's it's interesting to me that he's talking to children and he says, children, obey your mom and dad. Obey your parents. And then he zeroes in on fathers. And he says, fathers don't aggravate your kids. My first reaction is I want to take offense at that. I mean, because I mean, why only speak to dads? I, I, and then I began to think, well, yeah, okay, but moms are a lot nicer than we are. And all the moms said, mm, amen, right, to that. I mean, I, I have, a, have a memory. I was putting some notes together on this this week, and I have a memory of my mom. Um, my mom. My mom and dad shared discipline in our house. I'm an only child, and she shared discipline with my dad in our house. And um, my mom's um, go-to mode of discipline was to use a wooden spoon. And you know what she would do with a wooden spoon, right? She'd spank me with it. And I vividly remember it. I can't remember how old I was, but let's just say I was like seven or eight years old. And I vividly remember my mom swatting me on the rear with this wooden spoon. I had done something. Don't know what I'd done, but I'd done something. I was always doing something. And she swatted me with this wooden spoon, and it broke, and I laughed. And I realized in my young mind what I had just done. And I turned and I looked at her and she said the words that I did not want to hear. You know what she said to me? Wait till your dad gets home. Now, now all of us know, right, what that means. I mean, at least in my family, I knew what that meant. That I was dead. I might as well write my will out. Because, you know, no. But uh, I'll never forget sitting at the dinner table and we're eating the three of us and my dad's talking and you know we, it was a good dinner time around you know and and nothing was said my dad never addressed the issue and I'm over there eating whatever I'm eating and I'm just sweating bricks cuz I'm thinking I'm toast, I'm going to be in trouble here, and I know it's coming, when is the shoe going to drop, and he doesn't do anything, doesn't say anything all dinner long, we go in, and my dad used to like to watch the news a little bit, and so I'm playing toys, and I'm thinking, oh man, this is going to be the last time I play with my toys, and you know, I mean, and and nothing happened, and so my mom said, Bart, it's probably time that you, you know, go take a bath, and then get ready for bed, and so I'm like, oh yes, she She didn't tell him. He doesn't, he's not going to do anything. I'm going to get away with it. And I went into the bathroom, took off all my clothes, was ready to get in the bathtub. And my dad walks in and he says these words never forget them I understand you had a problem with your mother today. And everybody knows what follows after that, right? I won't go into all the details, but um, to say the least, he remembered. How many of you know that sometimes dads have a little bit heavier hand than moms do? Huh? It, it's true. It's very true. And we realize that. And that's, I think, why Paul is addressing us dads. Um, because fathers, and this is really what I want us to get today, fathers have a leading, leading responsibility in raising their kids. Even though both parents work together in raising their children, dad is the one that will be held responsible for the family. And today, millions of children are confused. Millions of children faced a host of problems that can be traced back, and we know this to be true, traced back to a lack of dad leadership in a home. Fathers have this leading responsibility, not a sole responsibility, but a leading responsibility. Look what Paul says. Read it with me. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. It's interesting in the original Greek, if you don't know, the New Testament was written originally in Greek, Koine Greek, and then translated or transliterated so that we could understand it in English. And in the original Greek, this this word discourage, I'm sorry, this word aggravate rather talks about something being picked at so much and so often that it causes a child to be discouraged. Or in, in the Greek, lose heart, or this is a good phrase, to give up. Something picked on so much that it causes the child to give up. You know, there are many things that a parent can do, not just a dad, but a mom as well, can do to discourage their kids. Let me just give you a few things that I think we should be really aware of. Get these down. A parent's inconsistency will cause a child to give up. Now, And this, by the way, affects all the relationships that we're involved in. Inconsistency on our part um, really messes up a relationship, any relationship that you're involved in. But in, in parenting, if, if parents rules change according to their feelings that day, if parents' rules change, if the parent is tired that day, then it will cause your child to give up out of frustration of trying to please you. Uh, Inconsistency causes this frustration. Uh, Any child will quit trying out of of fear that they're going to do the wrong thing no matter what they do. They give up. Next, a parent's self-focus will cause a child to give up. For these parents, the, the world revolves around them, and their kids are an intrusion to what they want in life. Unfortunately, dads get wrapped up into this a lot. And it's specifically because of our jobs, because of hobbies that we have, whatever. Dads who self focus, allow things to take them away from their families, and even when they are at home, they're not really there, they're not really present um and a big source of this and you may have one in your pocket like i've got one in mine or in your purse whatever a big source of this is found in a little device we call a cell phone i mean <laughs> dd Dee Dee and i literally dd Dee Dee and i last couple of weeks ago we were at sitting at habit and um dd and i have this rule that you know we have our phones there but we we don't mess with them when we're on date we we don't mess with them and this this older couple older than us um, came in, and it, obviously they were on a date as well. And they sat down at a, at a booth, like kind of, kind of quartered from us. And so they were in my line of sight. And I was talking to my wife, and we were enjoying conversation. And then I got distracted because I looked over, and here's a couple older than us, and both of them are on their phones. And I mean, they didn't even look up. So don't ever blame the younger generation for this, because you, older generation, you're guilty of this too. I'm just saying, okay? But, but, They didn't even look up. And then the little buzzer, you know how a habit works, the little buzzer went off and he's like, oh, okay. And so he goes and he gets the food and he comes back, sets the food down, goes back to his phone. No lie, goes back to his phone. And we are finishing up eating and I look over and their food's still sitting there because they're on their phones. Wow, be careful, be careful. That little device. I mean, reading, watching, scrolling, texting, it can take us away from our families, it can take us away from our loved ones, even when we're at home, even when we're at the dinner table. Be careful. Get this one down. A parent's expectations and criticism will cause a child to give up. Please understand, too, that these parenting tips that I'm giving you here are not just for when you have younger children, this is also for when you have adult children. They all apply. This is a parent who continually expects more from their child than they are capable of doing and then criticizes them when they fail. These parents fail to make allowances for the simple fact that the child, um, when they're young, does not have the skill set to do certain things. Um, I mean, if, if you have a little child, you've had a little child, you know it takes practice to learn how to hold a cup without spilling it. And it drives me crazy when I'm in places and parents are getting, over to their, you know, getting on to their kids for spilling. And they're little kids. It's like, well, then don't give them a cup that doesn't have a lid on it. That's what I want to say, mom or dad. You know, smart up here. Uh, use, use your head. It's the same thing riding a bike. You know, they get older, tra- driving a car, cooking, whatever. You know, things become... Uh, more and more difficult, and a certain skill set is needed. We always want to make sure our kids are doing their best. We don't want to have them fall into the trap of slacking off. But how many of you know that every kid is different? And every kid learns differently, learns at their own pace. Um, In the parallel passage, Ephesians 6, look what Paul says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. We all know that anger is the most common reaction when we face authority in our lives. You want to get that down, and it's true. And that's not just for when we're little, but it's also for when we're older, okay? When we face authority that we don't like in our lives, when it goes against what we want, our first reaction is anger. It's our sinful heart that's coming out, and it's anger. When self-centeredness in a a child's life, when self-centeredness, and yes, I'm saying your child is self-centered, because guess what? You are too. It just kind of runs in who we are as humans. Self-centeredness and a strong will meets authority. You know what happens? Anger flares. It happens. A two-year-old throws a tantrum. A teenager slams a door. It, It just happens. There will be flashes of anger even with the best parenting. I'm going to say that again. There will be flashes of anger, even with the best parenting. You know why? Most kids get angry when they don't get their way. And it's true for us, too. In fact, turn to the person next to you and just tell them, I know something about you. Would you just tell them that? Come on, now. I know something about you. I know, come on, tell them this. I know, say it with me. I know, deep down inside, you get angry when you don't get your way. It's true. It's true. And, and it's just the way that we are wired. Friends, listen, parents, you should give careful consideration to why a child is getting angry. But listen to me here don't stop what you're doing just because they get angry. Parents do that all the time. Sometimes kids will get angry. Guess what? All children are sinners. <laughs> what I mean by that is, all kids have a sinful streak. It's true. Even, you, even the best little kids that we know have a level of selfishness in their life. And so even the best and most loving and most tender use of authority will sometimes provoke a child to anger. So, so without compromising your authority or your truth, you know, Paul tells us to make every effort to avoid provoking your kid to anger. You know Why? Because anger devours all other emotions. And we know this to be true. Anger is a cannibal. Say that with me anger is a cannibal. It is. When we get angry and we allow it to remain in our lives, it is a cannibal. It devours all other emotions. It eats all others until nothing is left. Anger becomes dominant and all other good, tender feelings are pushed aside because anger becomes dominant. We know that anger does this to us. It does it to your children too. It deadens us, it numbs our hearts to joy and gratitude and hope and tenderness and kindness and compassion and all, and all these things. Paul isn't saying that a parent is wrong every time a child gets angry. So don't, don't go away and say, yep, yeah, every time my child gets angry, I've blown it. No, 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 that's not what he's saying. The point is, he's warning us. He's saying that there is a huge danger to say things and do things that will cause anger in our relationships. And we know this to be true. We need to hear this today. So Paul says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So Paul is is writing about actions that a father, specifically a father, takes to teach his children the abilities and the skills and the character to live a life that's following Jesus. He says to bring them up. It carries the idea of caring for them, it, for feeding and nurturing them on an ongoing, consistent level. Discipline, we get that. That's, on, that's hands-on training, right? I mean, that's, that, we know what that is. Instruction involves teaching, not just teaching by words, but also teaching by example. There's a passage in the Old Testament, and I kind of hesitated to bring this out just because I didn't want to I mean, like lose our train of thought here, but I think this is a good passage for us to see the discipline training kind of thing that's working. In Deuteronomy 6, Moses, um, as leader, is telling his people, this is what you need to do with your children in order to instruct them about God. Look what he says in Deuteronomy 6 you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. He's talking to parents and and people. Then he says, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to those commands that I've given you. Repeat them again and again to your children. So he's talking to parents. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. All the time, every day, talk about these things. Tie them to your hands, wear them as reminders, write them on the doorposts. Of your house. It's talking about an ongoing training as parents. Um, parenting is ongoing. Come on, let's say that together so we get it. Parenting is ongoing. It really is. In fact, it doesn't stop even as your children get older. Parenting is ongoing. Pointing out um, and explaining things over and over. Making teaching moments. I don't know if you've ever done that, but there have been many times as, as we've raised our kids where I've thought, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, okay, this is a teaching moment right now. And it could have been a bad situation or a good situation, How whatever it is, doesn't matter. I'm now going to use it as a teaching moment to help my child learn and grow. Um, you know, the other things that we do are um, uh, just uh, using those, those moments, those times, those experiences to, to teach principles to live by. Not just pointing them to God, but also pointing them to life principles that will help them. So your kids will understand and apply what they're learning, not only just seeing you do it, but begin to learn how to do it in their own lives. You know, many parents think that they are successful if they can buy a lot of stuff for their kids. Many dads think that. Many moms, on the other hand, think that if they give a lot of time to their kids, that they're a successful parent. But you know what? I believe if your child doesn't grow up to know God, is it worth it? And I know that this is coming from a pastor, but I I believe it in my family. We believe that as a church. Paul says this, look at it again. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that, here we go, comes from the Lord. Moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, your ability to effectively influence your children, is in a direct connection with and dependence on your relationship with Jesus. I believe that. Because parenting isn't easy, and we all know that to be true. If you think it is, you haven't done it. Um, Parenting isn't easy. So what I encourage you to do as a parent, as a mom, as a dad, as a grandma, grandpa, to have influence in your kids' lives, your grandkids' lives, ask Jesus to help you. Ask Jesus to help you bring your child up in the discipline and instruction that that child needs. Otherwise, if you continue to provoke your kids to anger or cause them to lose heart and give up, you're going to damage your kids in ways that will affect them and hinder them the rest of their life. We all know this to be true, right? The reality is all of us do these things Occasionally, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands from the dads in the room, but dads, have you ever provoked your child to anger before? No, not me, right? Have you ever aggravated your child so much that it causes them to lose heart? No, never, okay? We all have been guilty of this, and moms, you are guilty of this too. Grandmas, grandpas, you too. We We all at times, you know, do this. Growing up as a kid and a teenager, I mean, I, I still love my dad in the way that I was raised, but growing up as a kid and a teenager, my dad provoked me at times. And, and I can still remember those times, and I probably have provoked my kids at times. And I've got all four of them in the room, so don't ask them, though, because they make up stories and they don't tell the truth. <laughs> so just don't ask them, just come to me if you want to know anything about parenting, and I'll tell you, no, I'm teasing. No parent has it all together, Right? We realize that. We're not perfect. This is why we should always be relying on Jesus's mercy and grace to help us. Because it's tough to parent our kids. And we want to do it right. I mean, you know, if a child turns out pretty good, isn't it interesting how parents are happy to claim them? Yep, that's my child. You know? But if a child is out of control, you ever seen out of control kids like at a restaurant? Have you you seen the look on parents' faces? That's who I watch. I don't ever watch, you know, I'm a watcher of people. I like to observe people's response to situations. And the kid may be like going ballistic over here. I'm not looking at the kid. I'm looking at mom and dad just to see how they're responding. And usually, usually it's either embarrassment or disconnect. And what I mean by disconnect is, no, 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 that's not my child. You know, I don't even know whose kid that is. Somebody needs to do something about that kid, right? I mean, they, 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 are, they are trying to completely avoid the fact that their kid has just lost it over there on the floor. It's, it's Parents, they point fingers. Honey, it, you didn't do the right thing. You should have dealt with him, you know. They, they, they blame teachers. I mean, it's sad, but it's true. They, they blame grandparents. They blame friends. Sometimes they even blame the child. Well, you know, my kid has something weird about them that they just do this. We, as parents, we are, we are so quick to say that, that we did everything we could and it's not our fault. We have a tendency, if we're not careful, to blame someone else or something else as to why our child is acting the way they are. We have a tendency to not assume responsibility. Now, that may not be you, but you may know somebody like that. Parents, we need to understand that there is dual responsibility in how our children turn out we really need to get this i mean both you and your child carry a responsibility in in what kind of adult they will become and yet listen this this doesn't mean that your child can blame you for how their life turns out after their irresponsible and stupid choices I'm not saying that. Regardless of how good or bad parents are, an individual has a choice and responsibility as to how he or she will live their life. And we know that to be true. God does not hold us responsible for your kids' choices. Don't ever think that. But God sees you as accountable to be the best parent you can be. So what you do in raising your child will greatly affect your child, how they turn out, what you believe to be true, what, what they believe to be important, what behaviors are, are acceptable or unacceptable, how they feel about themselves, how they relate to other people, all these kinds of things. How you raise your child determines a lot in how they turn out. So here we are. How does this apply to us today? Let me give you a couple of things and then we're done and we can have fun with snow cones and stuff outside get these down. First off, if I, some of us, let me just say this, some of us have struggled in parenting. Some of us, maybe we would see it as a failure. So, so here's a couple of things that we need to do. Now, listen to me. Some of us see us, ourselves as failures in parents, and we write ourselves off as parents. But really, it's just a little problem that, that could just be adjusted, could just be changed, just a touch, and everything would change in your relationship with your child. So so don't write yourself off as a parent too soon, okay? That's an encouragement. I don't know if that came across that way, but I want that to be an encouragement to you today because parenting is hard. I want you to get this down. If I have failed in areas of parenting, okay? And I'm not saying as a parent, but in areas. If I have failed in areas of parenting, I need to confess. I need to confess. And, And I believe that in parenting, If we ask Jesus, say, Jesus, please help me to be a better parent, I believe that Jesus will bring to mind those things that need to change, those things that we have not done well in. And what we need to do, we need to confess those. We say, Jesus, forgive me for these things. You know, I I, I see now that these things need to change. I see how I have not done well. And listen, this can be for parents that have adult children, if you're in the room and you're thinking, wow, yeah, I really did a poor job when they were a teenager. And now they're like 20 or 30 or 40 or 50, it doesn't matter. This, this is a time where you need to check your heart on this and say, you know what, I, I didn't do the best that I could have. And you need to confess that. Now, here's the next step to that, though. You may need to confess this to your kids. Wow, that's a big step. I mean, if this involves a grown-up child you realize that the humility it takes for you to confess something to a grown-up child goes so far in restoring a relationship, in maintaining a relationship? And I believe if you have an adult kid that you need to confess some things to, parents, now is the time. Tell them now. Like that video? Tell them now. Tell them now. If this involves a younger kid, you know, admitting your failure, asking for your kid's forgiveness, this, the example that you set in this if, if, I mean, you know, granted, your you know, nine-month-old is not going to understand it, right? Okay, I'm, I'm, your 18-month-old may not even understand it. But when you start getting up to the two and three and four and lo- those ages, the example you set, when you come to your child and you say, you know what, daddy was wrong. I'm sorry, honey, I, I shouldn't have reacted this way. Man, what does that say to your kid? The example that it sets. Also, I want you to get this down. If you've failed in areas of parenting, you need to change. Don't just confess, right? What I'm talking about here, it's a big, it's a big church word, Bible word. It's called repentance. Repentance means that you confess, that you admit that you've done something wrong, and then you change. In fact, repentance is, a, is really a Greek word that means I see that I'm going in the wrong direction, and I turn 180 degrees and go the other way. And so that's what I'm talking about here. Don't just confess, hey, God, I did this wrong. I hurt my child's feelings. Thank you for your forgiveness. And then do it again. No, 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 no. You've got to change. Don't let your pride get in the way of changing, of making things happen. Assume responsibility. Begin to make changes. It's, it's big. It's important. Before we get out of the room, though, I, want, I, I was thinking, you know, we, we may have kids in this room that been affected by bad parenting. And, and, and I felt like you know God wants to speak to us as well. And so I, I want you to get a couple of things down here because I, I believe that, that this could challenge you as well. That if you have scars and pain from bad parenting, I want you to get this. If I've been hurt by bad parenting, I need healing. I'm convinced, convinced that Jesus is the only one that can bring the healing that you need. I believe that one of the big ways that Jesus brings healing and this is a big step but one of the big ways that you and I we find healing in relationships is through forgiveness if you've been hurt by bad parenting you need to forgive you need to choose to forgive a parent who hurt you listen we know this is true That you find freedom when you forgive. When you let things go and forgive, it's amazing the freedom that you find. So, as we get out of this room today and and go have some fun outside, let me just pray for us, all right?